as I was standing there before the service and trying to figure out how to preach this thing, my question to myself was, Joe, is this about you? I've never heard that song ever before in my life. First time I've ever heard it. And one of the first reverence I had this today for the message was about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm like, God, that's not funny. Look, I'm, I'm just going to keep it real. And I can tell you that theologically I know the wrong. But sometimes in the reality of life, I feel very alone. Anybody ever been there beside me? You're never alone, you're never alone, you're never alone. I'm like, I got it, God, the first 49 times you said it. And yet there's times where I just feel absolutely alone. That Yes, I know that God loves me, and yes, I'm secure in my faith, but there's times where I just feel completely isolated and, and forgotten about. And so when Tasha Cobb was sharing her testimony about the darkness and depression, I can tell you, I wouldn't say I'm depressed, but I've lived in that place where it's been dark because it's it just, it just been dark. You know, and <laughs> deal with it. Because it's a reality. If, if you're in this room and that song resonated with you, raise your hand. Okay. You want to know why it resonated with you? It's because we're all in the same place. If we would look at the world around us, if we would look at the country around us, we could say in our mind, it's what? It's pretty dark. I mean, did anybody get up in the morning and say, man, I can't wait to go out into the, the world with all of the craziness and all of the dysfunction and all the excitement? And I, and I can tell you that I, I know pastors all over the country, and every Sunday morning they get up and they dread going to, to preach on Sunday. I hate to disappoint you. I don't dread it. I'm not always excited as I probably should be. But I began to look at what's happening, and, and, and I don't know about you, but it's not the first time the world has been crazy. Do you all realize that? The world has been crazy numerous, numerous, numerous times. And, and, and I got a feeling that the closer the day gets to Jesus coming back, it's going to get what? A little bit crazier. How many of you guys are excited by that? But, but we, ha we have to find this hope, we have to find this understanding, and we have to have this truth of Scripture. Romans 8.28 says what? How many of you guys believe Scripture? That everything that happens, happens for a purpose, and it's all for God's what? Good. But what happens when it doesn't feel like it's good? What happens when it doesn't feel like it's going in the right direction? What happens when it feels like, oh my God, it's just another day of chaos? We have to understand that we are not alone, that God is what? With us and in us. And he's for us, and he says he will never leave us and he'll never what? Forsake us. How come we don't believe that? We confess it with our mouth, but do we really believe it where? In our heart. Do we really believe that, that no matter what we go through, that God is there? It doesn't matter how difficult, 
how much suffering. There's no limit to the time. God didn't say, hey, I promise you that all things are going to work out for the good in seven days. How many of you guys, when things aren't good, you put a time limit on how long you're willing to suffer? This isn't part of my message, but we're going to go there this morning. I've been, in this, <laughs> I've been in this place long enough. Anybody ever said that? I felt this long enough. God, God, I've been here long enough. God says, no, you haven't. I know what I am doing. And somehow we, we, we get away from the fact that God is sovereign and that God knows what he's doing. I don't like the season I am in. I really, I'm trying to think of a good word to use, deplore it. I don't like being in this season uncertain. I don't like being in the season when things aren't organized. I don't like being in the season where I don't have clear vision or, or a clear thought of where God wants me. I just don't like it. I'm, I'm one of those guys that, man, this God, let's get on. Let's, let's move on. And God says, no, no, let's just, right? Forgive me, honey. Let's take a 16-hour car ride. I don't have time for that. I need to figure out what God wants. And yet God knows what he's doing. The 16-hour car ride was the best 16-hour car ride I've ever taken in my life. I wasn't excited about the car ride. But what I'm saying is that God has this plan and this purpose that is so much greater than, than what we could ever begin to imagine. And no, it's not going to be easy. I, I, well, Joe, I signed up for the easy church. You can find the easy church, but it's always a difficult journey because all the easy church is going to do is prolong the time that you're going to spend when God gets you out of the easy church when you realize not everything is going to be what? Easy. Nothing easy in this room is easy Mike Elsie. And I don't know about you, but, but again, part, part, of the, part of the battle and part of the struggle is that, that even the church in itself has, has really kind of fallen away and we see the division and, 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 and I'll be honest with you, how many people like to be disliked? How many of you guys like to be disliked? How many of you guys want everyone to like you? Come on, let's be honest. I want everyone to like me. I've come to the conclusion not everyone's going to like me. How do I deal with that? How do you deal with that? The more I stand for righteousness, the more I stand for the things of God, the greater the attack from in the church and without of the church. How do you deal with that? How do you cope with that? Do you deal with it? Do you cope with it? Sometimes it puts you in a funk. Anybody ever been in a funk? No, just me and Melinda. And as I was preparing for the message over the, the past week, and look, I stole this message from this past weekend, parts of it, because I thought it had such a profound impact of what we've been doing. That, that, that Jesus said, the world's going to hate you because it hated me first. It didn't say the world wouldn't accept you. It didn't say the world would dislike you. It said the world will what? Hate you. That's a pretty strong word. Hey, baby, how are you? Thanks for coming. 
hey, there's donuts in the back, man. You want some donuts? No problem. The world will hate you because it hated me first. And I'll be honest with you. Y'all don't believe that I'm pretty sensitive. I want everyone to do what? Like me. I shared this story earlier. I'll share it again. I, I had a pastor friend of mine. I'll call him out by name, Jason. Jason said, hey, Joe, can I ask you a question? I'm like, sure, man. Um, I said, Jason, I, I, I try not to be offensive because I don't want to be offensive. I want people to like me. And he said, Joe, do you ever try not to be offensive? You, you, you guys get that or no? I don't intentionally try to be offensive, but by nature I am what? Offensive. Why? Because when it comes to the truth, I'm going to do what? And he's, I'm going to tell the truth for what the truth says, and we're going to deal with the truth, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna move on, and we're not going to move on. But at that point, I, I can't do any more. And, and Jason said, maybe you should try to not be offensive. Did Jesus ever try not to be offensive? <laughs> Did Paul ever try not to be offensive? <laughs> Sorry to agree with him, but he still did what? Stroke out the pen and said, guys, here's where you are. And what I'm getting at is, again, this is a side note. This is not where we're going to go. I don't know where we're going this direction. But, but in the day and the time that we're in, it's not going to be easy. But here's what we have to stand on the truth in love. We can't condemn and beat people up. But if you don't think things are going to get darker, you have lost your common sense. And I want to encourage you that, that in those times of, 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 of challenge, that, 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 that I thought about it. How did these guys get through it? How did, how, and think about it. Israel's in captivity, right? Daniel's in captivity. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego are in captivity. How did they survive? What? They stayed connected to their God, and they stayed connected to each other. They stayed connected in community. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not go in the fire one by one. Oh, let's send Shadrach in and watch him burn up. Let's send Abednego in. Let's no, they went in and said, hey, we're going to go in this tip. And if we happen to, to perish, so be it. God is still what? L listen to me. If, if we don't understand the importance of community in the days that are ahead of us, we're going to be in trouble. How many of you guys like to isolate? Come on. One, one eye is two people, right? <laughs> Three people, right? Four people, right? We like to isolate. When things get bad, we want to do what? We want to pull away, and we want to put our heads on the covers, and we want to peek out to see the sun comes up, and the sun doesn't come up, and we do what? Close the covers. How well is that working? And some of us have been doing it for a long time. Some of us have been doing it for a long time. Right? And, and when, what I really feel like God is asking and, and really kind of put on our heart, and we, we talked about as Tara and I and Jason have pounded this for the last month, that, that if without community, we are in deep, deep trouble. 
condemning of us at times. <laughs> I know you're like, hey, Joe, I thought you were going to come back with an easy message and smile and be all happy. You saw your grandbaby. She's so cute. And well, I am. How many of us have ever felt paralyzed? How many of us have ever felt paralyzed? If you have your Bibles, go to Mark 2, 1 to 5. Mark 2, 1 to 5. Right? I want to lay out the backdrop, right? Jesus is now, look, I, I, I have this revelation about Mark. Is Mark doesn't go through all the genealogy. He doesn't go through all the early childhood stuff of Jesus. He, Mark jumps right into healing. If you read Mark, hey, man, John the Baptist led the way. By the way, Jesus is here. And next thing you know, in, in the end of chapter 1, into verse 2, the, the first thing that, that Mark jumps into is healing and, 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 and deliverance. And, and I'm like, wow, man, Mark, Mark didn't cut any corners. He just said, hey, here's where we're going to go. Let's go with it. But I, I want to lay this scenario, I want to lay the backdrop because I think it's important. Jesus is healing. Look in your Bibles, flip back if you want, then to one and to two. And so we know that, that right now that, that Mark is talking about all the healings and all the deliverances and it's part of Jesus' ministry. And now all of a sudden they're back in Capernaum and it, 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 it's a question whose house they're at, but it doesn't really matter. But what you need to understand is that the, that the house that they were talking about could have been a one or two story house, you know what I mean? So when you think about the, the story of the paralytic and, and what it was like, the, the house would have been built, and then on the outside of the house there would have been a set of steps, right, that, that would have been there, and then on top of that there would have been a flat roof. Now when you picture it, uh, we, we, we have a guy named Michael Carter, who's a friend of ours, who talks about biblical imagination. When you think about a house in those days, what do you think the roof was like? Soft, what? Not sturdy, just thatch, kind of like you know, just a little, some reeds. If you push that away when you want to shoot a duck, you know what I mean? You could fall right through it. But here's where it's not—it's not true because in Luke five it talks about the tile on the roof. And if you ever get a chance to go to the museum of the Bible, and you look after you have a, a design, it's thatch and then it's mud. Right, it's like uh, straw, straw uh, chaff, and there's mud, and there's some, some other pieces, and there's more straw, and then there's more. Listen to me. It had to be strong enough because the, the house, that upper room, was used for a place to ha have guests gathered. 
It was to have a place where they could have meals or a place that people could sleep as they were visiting. Listen to me. We, we have to get in our mindset that it wasn't what we think it was. It wasn't just a thatched roof. Because when we begin to take a look at it, and we begin to read the story, and we begin to look at it, it had to carry the weight of multiple, multiple, multiple people. I don't know, here's how my mind worked. What do you think the paralytic was thinking about? What's that? Falling off the roof. What do you think the paralytic was thinking about? What do you think about the paralytic? My question would be, how long has he been on the mat? My, my thought would be, how did he get on the mat? My thought would be, what got him on the mat? My thought would be, how is he, is he accustomed and used to being on the mat? Has his identity now become the paralytic on the mat? See, we like to read Scripture, and we like to make it plain and simple, but I don't think it's real plain and real simple. What it does say is there's a man who was a paralytic that had no way to Jesus, and the one that he needed to get to was who? Jesus. Are you with me? Now, when you read the story and you look through the story, I, I don't know about you, but I think there's probably some conditions that got him there. I'm guessing after years on the mat that he has probably felt a little isolated, a little alone, like no one cared for him. I'm telling you right now, isolation, isolation is the enemy's tool to separate you from God and community. Do I think you should come to church every Sunday? The answer is absolutely. Not because we're worried about numbers or not because we're worried about offerings, but the, the fact that we need one another. When things are good, we need to celebrate with one another. When things are difficult, we need to do what? Mourn and grieve with those, right? We, we, we need to have this continual unity. That we have to have this continual community to understand that, that it's not going to, to necessarily be easier. I don't know about you, but, but think about it. The paralytics on the mat. Next thing you know, what happens? According to the story, what happens? Four of his friends picked him up. And they grabbed the mat, and they started walking to the door, and they said, hey, the house is full, let's go someplace else. They picked him up and said, wait a minute, wait a minute. the line's too long, we'll come back tomorrow. They said, hey, the, 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 the mat's too wide, we can't get through the front door. No, that's not what his friend said. His friend said what? We're getting you to the feet of Jesus no matter what it takes. I don't know about you, but, but I'm sure that the crowd did not discourage them. The crowd did not keep them from pressing through. They, they, they didn't say, oh, my God, there's too many people. I'm sure one of those guys said, hey, by the way, you see that set of steps up there? I think me and Joanne and Goldie and Uncle Frank can grab a hold of the corner of that mat and we can carry whoever up the steps. And when we get to the top of the steps, we understand there's a roof. I don't know about you, 
if anyone knows me, I'm not the hammer and nails kind of guy. What would it take him to get through that roof? Man, you got to pick and you got to dig and you got to do all those things. It wouldn't have been easy to get through that roof. You hear it said all the time, and people use their biblical imagination. I, I think the first time that Jesus heard the guys pick on the roof, I think he said, Oh boy, here they come. I, I, I know that Jesus knew that, man, what, these people are in for surprise because something's getting ready to happen and they have no idea. And I think Jesus was probably excited as he saw that first little hole pop through that roof. Said, uh-oh, what's going to happen now? And then all of a sudden, think about it. I'm not sure how high it was, but in my house I have nine-foot ceilings. Ready? I'm not dropping a paralytic nine feet. They had to devise some way to lower him down Think about what it took. Think about what it took those four men to get that paralytic to the feet. What's that? You think they came prepared? Uh, that means they'd have to have a lot of foreknowledge of where Jesus was going to be, what the house was going to be like. I don't think there's that much cell phone service back then or that much internet saying, hey, when you go to this house, the roof's going to be this thick and you need a pick. And no, I think they just knew inside of them that no matter what they had to do, they had to get their friend where? Whatever it took, they had to get their friend to the feet of Jesus. Those four men create a way for that paralytic to receive a miracle. Could Jesus have done it without it? Possibly, but he didn't. How important was community to the paralytic? Those men had faith for their friend. How many of you at times wish someone had enough faith for you to receive what God had for you? We live in such an isolated, self-indulged culture that it's always only about us. Their faith created a way for Jesus to do a miracle in the paralytic. Their faith, their understanding, if I could just get there, whatever it took. Think about what it, we can go through scripture after scripture after scripture, and it wasn't always community. I look about the woman with the issue of blood. She said, if I could just touch the hem of his what? And she crawled through the crowd to grab the hem of the garment, and the moment she did, Zacchaeus, ready, climbed up the, what tree? Come on, y'all know that song. I don't, I don't know what it is, but I know I heard y'all sing it in Sunday school. Right, the sycamore tree, right? Whatever it takes to get to that place. And for this man, it was community that got him there. The, the, the faith of these four men is what really got him to the place where, where he could receive what God intended. As we go back to the sovereignty of God versus Armenianism, someone from the sovereignty of God said, well, God would have done it anyhow. 
Yeah, he could have, but he didn't. Armenian says, hey, man, the faith of the four men, getting him to the mat and getting him to the feet of Jesus, opened the door for him to have a miracle. And no matter how you look at it, it still took community to get it what? It still took community to get it done. I'm listening. I'm listening for some thoughts. What are you thinking? Tara, what are you thinking? We live in such a me community, and if it's inconvenient to me, we just don't have the time because I got too much what to do. And how's that working out? Not just for us, but for world, for the world around us. How's that working out? Wayne makes time for a girl as he picks up his coffee. As he picks up his coffee, they strike up a conversation. And she goes, hey, I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to do it anyhow. I just wanted your permission. As he picks up his coffee, the girl says, where are you a minister at? Where are you a pastor at? And he says, I'm not. I just go to a church. I'm a man of God. I'm a Christian. In a simple process of getting coffee, he realizes a greater purpose because it's all about community and it's not about him or his coffee. That somehow we've got to get this community aspect back together. I played pickleball and I played yesterday and there's someone there that I hadn't seen in a while and I just asked a simple question and that simple question just opened the floodgates. Those men took that paralytic as part of the community. They pressed through the obstacles. They pressed through all the things that they said couldn't be done. And they lowered the man at the feet of Jesus. And the first thing that Jesus said was, you are healed. No, what did he say? He went for healing. He went for healing. He didn't go for he didn't go for salvation. Wayne, he went to get healed. What do you mean that Jesus Jesus forgave his sins? Why did Jesus forgive his sins? Ready? 
it was his biggest need, not his biggest want. So many times we go to Jesus for what we want and not for what we need. That man needed to be saved. That man needed to be delivered. That man, yes, he needed to be healed. But the, but the bottom line is you can be healed, right, and still not be saved. And God can heal you of cancer. And God can heal you of all these different things. And you can still spend eternity where? That man needed salvation. What the world needs today is what? It needs Jesus. It needs salvation. It needs deliverance. It needs healing. It needs all those things. But the first things first, I'm sick and tired of the church who's afraid to say, listen to me, without Jesus Christ in your life, you will not make it into heaven. Pray for me. I'll pray that God will deliver you from your depression. I'll pray that God will heal your cancer. I'll pray that God will your marriage. I'll pray that God will restore your business. But we never present Jesus Christ as a Savior of the world. All the other things are byproducts. I can't talk about salvation because you think Jesus is the only way. Yes, I do. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through. Oh, that's offensive. You're so offensive. Do you not think the Pharisees were offended when Jesus said, I forgive you your sins? They said, that is blasphemy. Who do you think you are? Jesus' response most of the time is, ready? I am that I am. He didn't really care what you thought. I am that I am. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. It's bookended. It's there. What, what I'm getting at is that, that I know that it's hard. Listen to me. I know that it's hard. Trust me. I know that it's hard. When we're not doing well. But I have a couple questions. I won't be long. We'll be out of here before long. We will. I can't tell you what the definition of long is. How many of you have felt recently that you've been on the paralytic's mat? Anybody? Come on. How many of you have felt like the paralytic on the mat? You just can't get up and you just can't move and you're without hope. Come on. What I'm getting at is we all spend time on the mat and we have all different reasons for being there. And the question is not whether we're on the mat. The question is, who are the four people who are going to take up the mat and take us to the feet of Jesus? How many of us have well, I want to be careful how I put it, meaning people in our lives that are there for us and they'll take us everywhere except for where we need to go. I need Dr. Hires. Come here. Mike Elzey. Wayne. I'm a male chauvinist. 
Wayne. Come on the back. Yeah, there you go. Make it here. Uncle Frank. Grab a corner. Take one of Mike's corners. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm acknowledging I'm on the mat. I'm acknowledging that I'm paralyzed by certain things in my life. I'm acknowledging the fact that I don't know how to go anywhere. And I know that I need to get to the feet of Jesus. I'm telling you. I'm confessing to you. I'm not hiding. I'm telling you the truth of where I'm at today. I need four people around me. And here's the reality. What happens if, if all of a sudden Mike says, hey, I need to take Joe to the bar. Not that Mike would. I need to take Joe to the bar. Mike, Charlotte walks to the bar. No, no, don't, no. you, you got to take the mat with you. The, the bar's that way, Mike. Doc, no, no, doc, 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 doc. Frank, what did you let go for? Why did you? <laughs> right? Gra doc, doc says, Joe, I know what you need. You need to go hunting. So Doc's going to start walking to hunting, right? Wayne's going to say, I need to go to pickleball. Go ahead. Where, where are you taking me? I don't even want to know. <laughs> but, but, but what I can tell you is, if they're not all going into the same direction to take me to the feet of Jesus, I am going to end up in the floor. And the problem we have is, we don't have four people around us who are willing to grab the corner of the mat and take us in the same direction. Do you have four people in your life who will grab the corner of your mat and take you where you need to go? Because if not, you're isolated and you're in trouble. Well, I got an idea. Let's just take him here. Let's take him there. And you want to know why I and the church and the world's in trouble? Because we don't have working in community to love one another to get us where we need to go. Drop the mat. Ow, that hurt. Don't drop the mat. Jesus in there. We don't drop the mat there. Why'd you drop the mat? Why'd you drop the mat? Why'd you say drop the mat? Why'd you drop the mat? Because I promise you the paralytic more often than not is going to say, just drop the mat. Just leave me where I'm at. And you guys say, I don't care what you think. I don't care what you think is best for you. We know that our job is to get you to the mat, even when you, you want me to drop you. Pick up the mat. You don't put down the mat until Jesus says put down the mat. You don't put down the mat until you get the person to Jesus. That's when you put down the mat, not when the paralytic tells you to, because the paralytic probably identifies with the mat more than he does with Jesus. Can you guys put my coat back before you have to buy me a new one because you all going to rip it? Sometimes we're on the mat. Sometimes we need to carry the mat. But the mat's always got to end up at one place. The mat has to end up at the feet of Jesus Christ. Because if not, we're doing more damage than we are good. Something I said. I guess it was.
I hate the Mac. I don't mind picking it up, but I hate to lay on it. How many of you guys get up and just say, put me on the mat, I feel like being here? Anybody? How many of you guys just ever get up one day and say, hey, I want to be the paralytic, I want to be paralyzed, let me jump down on the mat? Tap out, it's just easier. No one ever signs up for it. Say this is a pinata. I was going to buy one, but it wasn't in the budget. And so I have half a dozen friends that I love dearly who are dying of cancer. And the enemy says, your God's not real. They're going to die. They don't know Jesus. And all of a sudden, I'm getting the hell beat out of me. Your God's never going to use you again. You're never going to make it. God's done with you. You're finished. Ministry's done. You'll never have the money to send your kids to college. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, a man who's full of faith in the presence of God finds himself laying on the mat. I didn't sign up for the mat. Nobody signs up for the mat. But when we find ourselves on a mat, we have a choice. We can identify with the mat or we can identify with Jesus, but we can't do both because a house divided cannot stand. Sorry for making it so real. Because when we take them where they want to go, or need to go, they don't want to go.
one. And it always has to point back to Jesus. And part of what happens is sometimes we do things that are socially correct or politically correct, but not biblically correct or leading people to Christ. A few weeks ago, there's a gentleman who came in here. And um, no disrespect towards him. And I was in the back, and he came and said, hey, there's a need. And it was five minutes between the service, and the sound system wasn't working, and Chuck was trying to reach out to Gordon, and Gordon was off that weekend, and I told the gentleman, I said, look, man, I appreciate you, look, I, I want to help, we'll, we'll help you, we'll help your friend, I said, but right now, it's five minutes after 12, or five minutes after nine, we start at nine o'clock in the morning, <coughs> all, no disrespect, I have a responsibility here that's greater than what you think is important to you, so I, I'm willing to help, I'm willing to help you. But you've got to be patient and to wait to after the service. And after the service, I'll be more than happy to reach out. I'll be more than happy to make sure that before you leave here today, that that water bill will be paid. And so we're trying to get things were hectic. And all of a sudden, I'll be honest with you, I, I, I turn around and look, and I see Chuck on the phone and panic look on his face. And I'm like, dude, Gordon can't figure out. He goes, it's not Gordon. He goes, it's the person on the phone that needs help. And so I looked at the gentleman and said, look, dude, I told you that we would help. But the world doesn't revolve around what you think it should happen, when you think it should happen. This is about Jesus. Does that make sense? And he looked at me, and he cussed me. He cussed me on the way out. My heart wasn't to harm him. My heart wasn't to hurt him. We would have been more than happy to supply for the water bill. It wasn't that much money. It wasn't going to make us or break us. But greater than that, I wanted to see his heart get right with Jesus. But his response was what? I want it now. What he didn't need was money. What he needed was Jesus. What I was trying to give him was Jesus, and all he wanted was money. Listen to me. It's not easy. But if with all the good that we do, if we don't do it with a purpose of leading someone to Jesus Christ, we are doing it for the wrong reason. That man would not admit that he was on the mat, but that man was on the mat, and what that man needed was someone to take him to Jesus. I tried. Miraculously, he got up and ran away, so maybe he wasn't really paralyzed after all. I don't say that to condemn anybody. Yes, ma'am. What's that? Yeah. And, I, and look, we, I, I'll be honest, I try to love him. Dorchester Correctional. Dorchester Correctional. We tried to love him and give him what he needed. 
We tried to give him what he needed. We tried to give him Jesus. We tried to love Jesus. And he said, no, I don't need that. And now he's back at Dorchester Correctional. So four years. Wow. Are you with me? When we are ministering to people, when we are trying to love a broken world, our responsibility is not therapeutic help. Our responsibility is to get them to the feet of Jesus. Sometimes we do it through food. Sometimes we do it through clothing. Sometimes we do it through shelter. None of that's wrong. But the mindset has always got to be to make sure they understand why we're doing it and where we're trying to get them to go. Who's got your mat? Who's got your mat? Who are the people in your lives that you know that when you're paralyzed by whatever, loss, divorce, sickness, disease, they're going to recognize the fact that you're paralyzed in their mat and their only goal is to get you back to the feet of just important as that is it's not the four people who had your mat whose mat do you have because if you have it one way and not the other you're pretty selfish oops sorry that came out wrong see, see that's offensive I don't mean to be I'm trying to be less offensive. Someone give me a better, better scenario. What's that? Selfish. What's that? Nonsensical. Thank you. So you guys are helping me. I'm trying. I can't tell you the number of people that I have over 25 years of ministry that have refused to be a part of community they refuse to allow people to surround them and love them and care for them and they refuse to surround other people and today their lives are a living nightmare So what he's saying is I'm afraid to be in community because I'm afraid what people are going to do with it. So what we're saying is I'd rather be on the mat and be paralyzed. Here's the reality. You get to a place you get desperate, you don't care what people think or what people are. I don't care what you think. You, some people could take this message and listen to the message today and say, man, Pastor Joe's in a bad place, blah, blah. I am. You hear me? I am. I don't care what you think. Plaster that thing on YouTube. Plaster it on Facebook. Put it on Spotify. I don't. 
because I know the answer for all that's going on in my life is Jesus. That's it. I think we're so afraid that people are going to figure out that our image is not who we are. Oh, Betty. Our image is not who we really are. We protect an image. We protect a, uh, I can't, one of the biggest struggles I've had over the years is that, that I have wealthy people that we have influence with and all that, and everything's all fine and good until you realize that they live in glass houses and one stone brings down the house. And so what they do is instead of inviting you into the house, they do what? Lock the gate so you can't, can't come in because they don't really want you to see their brokenness. And yet they still remain broken. They smile. They put on pretty faces. They pretend like all is well. And you know deep down inside what? They're hurting. People come to church every Sunday morning, put their son on the church. You've just been fighting with your wife right before you walked in the door. You're not sure how you're going to pay your bills tomorrow. Your loved one's sick, got cancer. Your, your, your son or your daughter's doing crazy stuff. And we come in and say, Praise Jesus. It's all good. What do you do when it's not all good? I'm not against church. I'm not against other churches. <coughs> I didn't see Jesus go to the woman in the well and say, Ma'am, you're dressed so fine today. You're, you're such a good woman. and No, he said, what? You're an adulterer. You've had how many husbands? The man you're with now is not your husband. I'm going to tell you there's a way, there's a, there's a water you can drink from, right? He dealt with real issues. He dealt with a heart. Here's the reality. We will never be whole until we allow God to deal with a heart and transform us into the image of his son. Who's got your mat? The harder question is when you grab a hold of someone's mat and they tell you to grab a hold of your mat and they tell you, take me anywhere but the feet of Jesus, what do you do then? Anybody ever thought about that? You got a friend? You know he's on the mat. Hey, friend, you're on the mat. We need to get you back to Jesus. And the friend says what? Oh, I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Because so many times we identify with the mat. We identify with brokenness. We identify with hurt. We identify re with rejection. We identify with all the things that aren't of God that we're afraid that if we identify with the things of God, we won't know ourselves. Jesus did not come to keep us in the same condition that he found us. He came to transform us. what some of you are thinking. Joe, if I'm going to carry your mat, you better lose a little weight. 
Right, Doc? Just say right. Okay. <laughs> if I'm gonna carry you away, if I'm gonna carry your mat, you need to lose a little weight, right, Doc? <laughs> Doc's like, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Can I be honest with you? The more people you have carrying your mat, the lighter the load it is for everybody. It's okay to have more than four carry your mat. But you got to start somewhere. Does this make sense today? Too much. Too much. Tara, go my sounding board. Help me out. Put a chair up here for me. Not unless four you plan on carrying it somewhere. And I say this because I know that a number of people have reached out and I have no problem hiding it. Dr. Hires, when we hunted the last time, said, Joe, you okay? And I said, nope. Came to church for it and said, you okay? I said, nope. Elsie, how many times have you called me in the last week? Right. Chris Moore, who's the president of the board, said, Joe, where's the counselor? Go for counseling when things are ugly. So I reached out to a guy in Salisbury and said, hey, man, battling in ministry, battling in life. Got nothing to hide. I don't care what you think. So I chose a number of people to pick up my mat. Not everyone is going to pick up my mat. And I'm not going to let everybody pick up my mat. If you're not taking me where I need to go, guess what I don't want? If I am going to pick up someone else's mat, this is going to sound awful bad. This is going to sound offensive. If you ask me to pick up your mat and I'm not taking you towards Jesus, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to drop that mat. If there's three or four of us that picked up your mat and three of us are taking you towards Jesus, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to make sure you drop the person who's not taking you to Jesus. That's some tough discussions. That's some tough conversations. But it's time that the church has them. Are you with me or no? Yes, ma'am.
You're not going to draw many people to church that way. Okay. Will we get them into heaven? Because I think religion is the greatest paralyzer there is because it's in conflict with the heart of God. today as you are and you are you are loved and we are here for you You don't have to apologize. Test. Test, 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 test. When I was <coughs> struggling after, well, a year ago, I had spent a great deal of my life serving the Lord, and I don't regret any moment of it. But there came a time, some of you know my story, some of you don't, after 60 years serving in the church, the church went in a different direction. Our people left, went to different places. That's another story. But the fact is, uh, it hurt me so bad because I poured my heart and soul into a congregation and a structure and an organization that I thought was what I should be doing. And I don't, I don't think now that it wasn't. I think it is what God wanted me to do. But for some reason, he chose to extricate me from that and my family from that. And we were all hurting bad. So I was on a mat. And trust me, it was hurtful. And <coughs> I called Joe. And he made arrangements for me to meet with him in a neutral place. It just happened to be, and I hadn't gotten to know Jason that well at that time, but we met at the Old Baptist Church, which is where I came to Christ. It's interesting. He and Jason sat with me, listened to me, uh, cared about me, helped me try to focus on the Lord and what he might be doing in my life and the circumstances, um, mostly listening, mostly praying for me, mostly helping me, and they carried my mat. They didn't carry me to 
any physical thing. They took me back to my focus on the Lord and what he might be doing in my life. It led me here. Uh, and I've not regretted a moment of any of it. I know now God was moving in my life to a different direction in terms of serving him, focusing on him, the where, when, and how. And I thank him for that. And I, I just thank you and Jason and all of you since then. But the two of them carried my mat. And uh, I think you need to know that deeply, how important that it, it was in my life. And I'm sure it's been that way for other people. Thank you. I love you, man. Yes, ma'am. ready to give up on this. The doctor said, if you don't get treatment, advanced treatment, you've got about three months. And I thought, well, you know, maybe that's not so bad. And uh, Joe just encouraged me to go for it uh, and just gave me uh, hope and the guidance that I needed and uh, and I know he's always there uh, for me. Uh, so I'll never, ever forget that. This wasn't supposed to be about me, but what I'm saying is one day when I stand before God, he won't ask me what kind of car I drove or what house I drove or lived in. He'll ask me, who did you carry on your mat for me? Our job is to carry their mat of paralyzed, hurting, people to the feet of Jesus. That is it. Amen. Come on, pray for us.